Hello, Gaming Intelligentsia. Before we start today's podcast, here is a message from our sponsor. The IGMNX podcast is made possible with the support from our sponsors at Pragmatic Solutions, leaders in intelligent platform technology. The Pragmatic Solutions player account management platform is an incredibly powerful technology stack for today's gaming business. Their modern modular platform provides all the core services to power your business and their SaaS licensing model allows you to reduce cost and accelerate your strategic goals. Enterprise technology with decades of operational know-how at scale built in. Upgrade your business to the Pragmatic Solutions PAM platform. Visit www.pragmatic.solutions to arrange a platform demo. And now here is today's podcast. Future trends, deep insights, industry leaders. This is the iGaming Next podcast with your host, Pierre Lindt. So Pontus, it's really nice to have uh, have you with us today. Thank you so much for, for doing this. Um, there's a really interesting topic today, which is uh, basically M&As in the industry. And will the iGaming industry consolidate to only a few players, uh, only a few big players? That's, that's the topic today. But I would like to... I would like to ask you first, Pontus. Uh, you you just released your quarterly report here the other day, yesterday. Uh, you you um, you showed all-time high profits for Q2. How good does it feel to be Pontus Lindvall today? Yeah, it, it feels really good. Uh, the second quarter was really strong, and you know when we entered into the quarter, as we communicated the first quarter, which was in, in uh, April. We didn't have much visibility about how the second quarter was going to play out. There was this total corona crisis and nobody knew anything. And all the sports leagues were shutting down. And we lost uh, more or less uh, all the revenues, not really, but 70-80% of the sports revenues, more or less in one week. So that was a a strange situation. And, you know, uh, being in that position in April and trying to have an idea about the second quarter was really hard. So soon then, I, you know, yeah, the whole quarter turned out really well. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to hear that. And I, I also noticed in the quarterly report that the the trend so far for Q3 is uh, also a massive, massive growth compared to yeah. last year. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really strong. So that, that was, mm. that was nice. And, 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 you know, it's, it's been a strange time, of course, that during this, period of the second quarter and, and still we are working all from home we're like uh, 1800 people and and i would say the vast majority is working from home and you know it's amazing to see how well it goes and how well people perform even though we don't have the the daily meet at, at the coffee machine so so uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a different situation so very interesting uh, situation at the moment, obviously, because um, it seems like this is driving culture forward in many ways. And um, like you like you mentioned, it's kind of been proven in a way that working remotely is now not something that uh, necessarily have to decrease uh, your output uh, as as an employee. So the question is, what will how this will shape organizations in the future? Yeah, I think sure that this uh, pandemic will not only for our industry but also for other industries leave some traces because now companies have been forced to try new ways of working. They have been forced to do, you know, business with counterparties without meeting in person, like uh, through the digital media like this. 
And, and this has created a, a new way of working, which I think that companies will kind of keep at least a bit of, you know, to save money, to save people from traveling that much. So, mm. so, so it's definitely going to be, you know, like the before Corona and after Corona times, I think. Yes, BC, as they, as they call it uh, now before Corona. Yeah. Um, okay, let's jump into the, uh, to the topic, uh, Pontus, of, of, um, of consolidation of, of the industry. I would like to start to ask you, actually, what are some of your most uh, favorite acquisitions within the Agami industry? What were the best acquisitions that we have seen throughout the years? I mean, you, you come from a very long background, all the way since 1997, I believe, when you jumped on the war Betson, so you have seen a lot, obviously. So... Uh, Tell me a little bit on, on uh, the acquisitions that, that you think are the biggest game changers, let's say. I mean, we have seen uh, big M&A activities in the industry where we have not been part uh, that definitely has formed some of the bigger players. And of course, these are uh, big transactions and they are uh, impressive in a way that there are big organizations sometimes with quite different cultures that has been merged together. And, you know, they have dealt with that. Uh, obviously, I haven't seen it from the inside, so I don't really know how, and I'm, I'm impressed by how they have managed to do that. Mm. Um, we, in the case of Betson, we, we have done quite a lot of M&A as well. Um, we are quite cautious to buy companies which are... Uh, not as sizable as we are so that we can kind of decide you know we we really strive to keep our culture and you know get our culture and our way of working into the companies that we acquire and obviously when you do that some people like it they, some people like it a lot because they come to a bigger organization with the resources and and the maybe different way of working that we have and some people don't like it because they kind of prefer the more smaller environments, maybe more entrepreneurial environment, which we don't hope because we try to be entrepreneurial despite the fact that we are close to 2000 people. So, um, uh, so, but we like that kind of m &A where we can, you know, make the decisions on, on, on how to do it. Would it be fair to say that with that strategy in mind that the, the way Betson grows is a kind of a steady uh, growth path, whereas uh, we've seen other players within the industry who have had, um, you know, a very, very aggressive um, strategy when it comes to M&As, uh, like GVC being one of them, for example. But does yeah. that also bring a lot more risk, having a, a strategy like that? Uh, I, I would think so. But at the same time, you have to just, you know, take off your hat and say congratulations good work because they, it seems that they have managed to to create this uh, huge entity with different cultures and you know merging something which has a lot of land-based heritage with something that has a lot of online heritage and things like that so they they have probably it's impressive how they have managed to do that mm. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you, you hear often about the winners in these situations, the ones that have managed to consolidate into something into something big. But perhaps when someone takes a big bet and they don't make it, they, these are these are the organizations who are maybe left out in in the in the conversation sometimes. But uh, uh, nonetheless, it seems that GVC has done uh, an incredible job, like you like you mentioned. Yeah. Um, 
I have a question for you then, um, Pontus, uh, in regards to we are seeing some really big movements in the market lately, uh, obviously Evolution Gaming and NetEnt being one of them. Um, I would like to, to start off on that note, uh, asking you, I mean, you, you have vested interest in, in NetEnt, of course, and I, I would like to hear your analysis of, of, um, of Evolution Gaming's uh, bid to, to acquire NetEnt. What are your thoughts on, on this move? Yeah, I think, uh, first of all, I think Evolution is a fantastic company and they, uh, uh, I think they managed to get traction in their business uh, a few years later than NetEnt did. So they were a little bit uh, behind, so to say, because they were working with the technology that was more, that was more demanding in terms of, you know, bandwidth, etc. So it, it was kind of natural. And then they have done the whole execution of their business in a terrific way. And they have built uh, a very strong world leader in live gaming. And they are, you know, there's them and then there's nothing, then there's nothing. And then there are <laughs> a few smaller ones. So so they have done it with a great success. and And now they... Uh, of course, we know that they have been looking into RNG, random number generator uh, games as well, for a very long time, and they have scouted different companies. And, uh, and we have understood that they've had their eyes on NetEnt sometimes. And uh, I think with the deal now coming through and, and the bid that they made, uh, I think they are creating a really... Uh, nice company it's like you know the definite world leader in in digital gaming suppliers so so uh, th there's a lot of rational in doing that yeah it seems it seems like it makes sense from that perspective uh, another uh, from what it seems like from the outside is another perspective in this acquisition is that uh, both organizations have their eyes on the u.s market um and um, this leads me to my other question, which is on the U.S. market, uh, where, uh, you know, all eyes are kind of on the U.S. at the moment. Uh, how do you enter that market? And, and, and it's obviously a very difficult market to penetrate in terms of resources uh, uh, and things like this. Um, so do you think, uh, Pontus, that um, a lot of the consolidation and M&As that we've seen lately and that perhaps we will see in the future uh, is uh, um, partly driven by the future opportunities in the US market? Uh, possibly it has, you know, uh, put some extra fire to, to the M&A activities. Uh, but uh, I think we can say to go into the US, it's not something uh, that you do unless you have some, you know, muscles and some firepower. So for that reason, I think you can see that out of the European operators, it's it's the larger ones that kind of goes to the US, not many of the, the smaller ones. And uh, yeah, for that reason, I think it can have put some extra fire to the M&A activity in Europe. Mm. Because when when we when we look at like the major players in the US now, I mean, there is the the fan duels, there is the DraftKings, for example, who are already really household names in the US, and they seem to have a big advantage in 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 that market. And to to establish a brand in the US um, is obviously extremely costly. Um, so, uh, is is it even possible for kind of medium 
operators or do you do you have to like as a medium operator or a, or a large operator the, is consolidation the only way to enter the market it's hard to tell uh, uh and we have now communicated that we will go into colorado yeah. uh, and we will do that you know as a b2c we will operate our own brand there and uh, uh, w- w- we do that by ourselves in the sense that then we can control that entry, we can control the cost and, and we know what kind of responsibility we take on. And uh, we hope that we will be able to showcase what, what we can do there and we what we can do with our sports book. And, and I think it's like uh, there is a demand always for different products, different suppliers. So I think we have a nice fit into the market. Mm. But then again, if, if if you would ask me today, do you think that Betson will go full throttle into the US in all states? With, uh, I, I, I think we would kind of start off somewhere, try to yeah. get traction, get a little bit proof of concept before we just threw money into the to that market. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. And I mean, another another way into the market is perhaps kind of tagging along on on another brand. Let's say you know Fox Fox Bet, for example, or, or you know we've seen some of the casinos that uh, uh, that are um, also uh, looking into uh, the online market are using their household names um, as well. But do you, is that a consideration? Um, when when you guys look how to establish a brand in in the US, are you using Betson as a brand, or um, will you be looking to uh, to launch uh, brands that are kind of already has a footing in the US? Let's say. Uh, no, we will use one of our own brands, uh, okay. and and you know, I think I think sometimes people overestimate the value of of going with a. a, a a known brand and we have seen that in other areas of you know e-commerce and e-banking it's not the the traditional big banks that has been successful in e-banking it's the new banks that has brands that nobody knew about and it's the same with e-commerce actually that uh, the, the big major chains they don't have the same traction as the new ones uh, who are more professional uh, on the e-commerce so 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 I, I'm not too nervous about that fact of, of the brand itself. It's rather if you have a really good service and you get traction in the market and people start to talk about what you deliver and how, how good you are as a, mm. as a consumer product, then you get traction with a new brand as well. Okay, fair enough. Uh, just the last question on the US market as well, because I, if I understand correctly, you are um, attacking that market both from B2C and B2B with your propriety uh, sportsbook. Is that correct? Is that something you want to elaborate on a little bit? Yes, that, that's what we want to do, really. And uh, uh, that's why we go to, uh, in Colorado, which is a, it's a pure sportsbook uh, licensed uh, state and, and then we hope that we will be able to fine-tune our products and make it re it's it's a very good product but make it more adopted to that local market and hopefully be able to really compete with the others uh, on the market on the product level and then hopefully we will find partners who want to to explore our our uh, sports book Okay, fair enough. Thank you, Pontus. So um, let's take a step back again and, and uh, travel uh, back uh, to Europe from <laughs> from the from the US. Um, in the, in Europe, in the last couple of years, as we are very well aware of, um, regulations uh, is becoming 
um, a huge, uh, obviously time consuming and resource um, consuming um, part of the agenda in how to operate a successful um, operator. And um, as, as I understand it, uh, it's becoming obviously more and more complex. Uh, it's becoming more and more restrictions and you have to kind of um, you have to kind of operate much more long term in these markets to be able to be um, uh, successful. Is is this something that you also feel is driving M&A in general? And uh, my follow up question to that would also be, do you think that um, the consolidation in industry is something positive from that perspective as well? Yeah, I, I'm sure the fact that regulators are uh, moving forward, so to say, in in different steps in different uh, jurisdictions that's definitely pushing on uh, M&A because I, I talk to companies and they say that we are too small to handle this uh, you know situation it's too complex and uh, it takes too much of our profitability away so so that's uh, driving on then again I don't think that all regulators in Europe are doing exactly the right thing for the time being I think they're not you know working towards a functional market in the way that they implement too much hassles and issues which makes it so hard for us to operate so that it creates an advantage for non-licensed operators or not locally licensed operators and that that cannot be in the long-term interest of regulation so uh, but definitely this more complicated situation that we experience now that will push for further M&A. Yeah, and um, I mean, because of this, uh, because of the environment that we are really, that we're in and that we're heading towards, like you were saying, Pontus, uh, Sweden is um, obviously uh, becoming very stringent and um, maybe because of that, uh, it's what we are now seeing in the UK, for example, where the regulator is also pushing for similar uh, restrictions. Uh, we've seen other markets, uh, you know, closing down uh, completely, um, uh, making it, uh, like you're saying, very tough to to operate, and and uh, it's kind of opening the door for uh, for the the black market uh, operators. Um, is this a concern of yours as you go as you go into the future? Because uh, it, like you're saying, it doesn't seem to be that the regulator on instructions by the politicians are taking the best decisions for the players necessarily um the political decisions aren't necessarily being driven by what is best for the regulation is this a concern of yours it, it, it's it's a short-term concern because it, it drives the market in the wrong direction for the time being but I, i'm i'm positive that uh, regulators and politicians at the end will uh, kind of grasp the situation understand what's going on and then they will have to to change the direction uh, on where they're going, because otherwise they will not have much uh, gaming activities to regulate soon. No, no, that's that's fair enough. Um, and a final question for you, Pontus. We are just a minute before four, so uh, we'll we'll end this on on a high note. Um, can you draw any parallels to the trends that you see in the gaming industry from an M and A perspective with other industries that are perhaps further ahead? What would be your uh, kind of, if you look into the crystal ball, how do you see this playing out from an M&A perspective? Yeah, I, I think definitely because we talked about will there be just a few big companies, etc. Uh, at the end. And I, I don't think so. 
I think there will be big companies that have a, a global agenda uh, and that has uh, quite good coverage with many markets. But in every country, you have your local needs, your local feel, and you know your local demands. And I think there will always be local suppliers who are very, very good on the local side. So I think that goes for not, not only for the gaming industry, but for most industries. So I think there still will be room for smaller operators, but then on a more local, uh, on, on the local level. Yeah. It, um, uh, interesting. Maybe, maybe like you'll have you'll have McDonald's over the, all over the world, but then you you also have uh, Max, which is a Swedish uh, hamburger chain uh, in, exactly. in in local markets, for example. Yeah. yeah, interesting. Okay, we'll we'll close it on a on a high note with uh, with McDonald's and Max today, because now I'm getting now I'm getting hungry. Just talking about this myself. <laughs> um, Pontus, uh, thank you so much for taking the time uh, yeah. today and, and coming on. I really appreciate it. We really appreciate it. Uh, like, even next, uh, anytime you want to come back, you're more than welcome. Thank and, you. Uh, and you, yeah. you. You know what they say in Sweden when you go fishing? You say skitfiske. That means Sweet bad fiske. fishing, but that means that you're going to be lucky. So I say skitfiske exactly. to you now. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Thank you so much. I appreciate that, Pontus. <laughs> thank you. This fruitful discussion has been brought to you by our sponsors, Pragmatic Solutions leaders in intelligent platform technology. Is your business struggling to keep up with the development demands on your current gaming platform? Well, then it's time to upgrade to the Pragmatic Solutions PAM platform. Multi-tenant, multi-currency, multi-regional, API-based, rule engine automated, regulation ready. It's all here out of the box. Smart businesses leverage Pragmatic SaaS model and license powerful modern technology for a fraction of the cost of in-house development. Upgrade your business to the Pragmatic Solutions PAM platform. Visit www.pragmatic.solutions to arrange a platform demo. Stay safe and take care.